We are going to be looking at uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through to verse 9, the Tower of Babel uh, narrative that is well known to us all, I'm sure. So, uh, the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask for you to be gracious to us and make your face to shine upon us as we hear your word, as we receive your word, and as we apply your word. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as some of you who were uh, keen, uh, shall we say, students of the weekly bulletin, Uh, you look to see what is uh, going on this Sunday at Faith Church. And lo and behold, Pastor Mark is preaching, and lo and behold, another sermon title to pique your interest uh, called Pride Month. Now, I confess uh, that is in part to perhaps pique your curiosity, as indeed it did when you get a screenshot and a text and... Uh, family saying, we're coming to listen. Uh, I was a little bit nervous, actually, because uh, while I was coaching this week at the uh, soccer tournament, one of the moms whose daughter was on the team found out that I was a pastor, and then the usual conversation happened, whereby she said to Barb, I had no idea he was a pastor. Uh, And then she was told to Google me, which her son beside her promptly did. And then she said, well, we're coming to church. And then they sent me a text. We're going to come with the whole family on Sunday night. It better be a good one. So then I thought, okay, I better preach a good one. Um, Incidentally, this morning I got a text that one of the kids was throwing up, so they had to delay. So I prepared a good sermon for no reason. (laughs) So let us turn to a different text so I can preach this one next week. The providence of God, uh, so be it. 
And again, I urge you not to make fun of the fact that people are constantly saying, I had no idea he was a pastor. I don't even know what a pastor is supposed to act like for people to say, ah, there's a pastor. Do you walk around with a stick and a black gown and a little white collar and, you know, sway things back and forth so that people go, okay, that's a pastor? I don't know. But nonetheless, here we are. And we have a text before us, and what you find as you go through the book of Genesis is everything is uh, quite deliberate in the way the author Moses is describing the uh, growing state of humanity through the ages. And what you'll notice about the Babylites, so to speak, is that they are the spiritual heirs of the line of Cain, which is not a good thing. And there's some clues in the text that alert us to this fact. They both migrate eastward. So you see that in chapter 4, I think, uh, look at verse 16, and then chapter 11, verse 2. So they migrate eastward. Then they both build a city to secure and establish a place where they can dwell. This is what Cain did. This is what the Babylites are doing. And both are actually proud manufacturers. So again, go back to chapter 4, verse 19, Uh, And the next several verses, and then in chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, they are manufacturers. Both are actually judged by being forced to migrate. So they wanted to settle, but they are judged and they have to migrate. Remember, uh, Cain, uh, because of what he did, ended up having to migrate. And then both continue to propagate. And actually, chapter 10 Uh, It's not meant to be strictly chronological. Chapter 10 may, in fact, actually be a reality that takes place after the events of chapter 11. And that's an interpretive question for another time, just on how things are structured sometimes in the Bible, Uh, not necessarily in sort of a linear time fashion, but a theological way of speaking. So that's the sort of background, the Babylites being portrayed in a sort of Cain-like manner, which gives you a clue as to whether these are righteous people or not. Now, a little bit of the context we are offered in verse 1. The whole earth had one language and the same words. And when I speak about in the title Pride Month, I want you to understand there's something significant going on here. This is not necessarily a neutral way of just simply stating a fact. The Bible often, in the way it speaks and portrays things, is trying to tell you something than merely what the words are saying. This is not just the lingua franca of the ancient world was Latin, or as it is fast becoming, it seems English, where English is the language. There's something else going on here, judging by the context. There is a language, literally there is a language they all speak, but this language is deeply symbolic of shared ideas. It's deeply symbolic of a shared culture, judging by the fact that they were living in a certain locale and wanted to stay there. And this is very much something you have to understand about humanity. Godless humanity is not all about, well, what is good for you is good for you, and what is good for me is good for me. No, even from the beginning, godless humanity has insisted upon a type of uniformity. 
You see this in nations. You see this in Chinese culture. You see this in Russian culture. You see this in many cultures. This is not a sort of, well, this culture is worse than this culture type of thing. This is just the effect of what we are like as humans. Shared identities, shared viewpoints. And Pride Month is our culture's way of trying to establish a uniformity of thinking in our own midst. This is how you are to think. This is what you are to believe. There has to be a shared language. And the shared language is now symbolized by visible symbols. Even this morning in our Surrey site where we go to church, you walk into the school and there are what are now shared symbols of the culture. There is the pride flag. There is the new flag that has beyond the colors, shapes, and and other colors that weren't initially in the pride. And this is a way in which culture is trying to get us all to have a shared language. Because the symbols, such as the pride flag, is a type of language because of everything that it stands for. And when you embrace this symbol, you are embracing the language and identity of that symbol. Now, the world hasn't quite succeeded in this, at least the Western world. If you look at what happens on social media, the symbols change. Canada soccer symbol changed. And it went from a red and white soccer ball and maple leaf in the symbol to now pride colors. But what's interesting, actually, is as you look at the symbols of BMW, Mercedes, and every other major manufacturer, everywhere except in the Middle East... They do not change the flag. So the Middle East BMW remains the old Middle East BMW sign. There are no extra colors. And isn't it something that they feel that they cannot offend their Middle Eastern customers by doing that, but they have no problem in what are allegedly Christian nations doing that very thing? My point is very simple you are going to be constantly forced into adopting a universal language concerning morality, concerning ideas. You will be forced into a type of Babel. And you need to be aware of this. So when they have one language and the same words, this is true in a literal way, but it's much more than that. It is a cultural phenomenon where they feel protected by the shared language and shared ideas. Now, as the people migrated from the east, they find a plain in the land of Shinar and they settle there. And so, what are they going to do as they settle together? Well, this is what Moses tells us. He gives us their own words so that they can condemn themselves. So see what he does here? He allows them to quote themselves. He doesn't say, and this is what happened. But he says, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Let us burn them thoroughly. And here is Moses now explaining the point of that after what they've said. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now again, you have to understand something about what this means. 
a new invention, and the Bible speaks very often about this fact, even before Genesis 11 of new inventions, a new invention or new technology has to be used wisely. God gives people gifts. He gives them gifts to make inventions. He allows human beings to use their brilliance and genius in very many ways, but that is often used for nefarious purposes. Just because something is invented that is brilliant doesn't mean that it will be used well. And so, they have been given the gift of being able to build bricks and to develop a type of uh, a structure whereby they can build something for themselves, but notice they don't use it for good. And what ends up happening when we invent something is it gives us a sense of power. And when people have a renewed sense of power or a new sense of power, oftentimes we find they cannot be trusted with it as far as the Scriptures are. So can human beings develop a certain type of rocket where we'll be able to travel to Mars one day? Perhaps so. Am I inclined to believe that we're going to use these things for good purposes based upon world history, based upon biblical history? It would be fair to say we should probably have some reservations. The internet is a classic example of a new invention and how things can be used for ill or things can be used for good and so on. So they make something, and Moses is alerting us to this fact that they have invented a new form of technology. But then they say something, and it's quite funny. As the text, you'd have to read carefully, but it actually is a little bit funny. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Now, two points for you to write down. Pride is often connected with fear. When you find a proud person, you will often also find a fearful person. When you find a proud culture, you can find a fearful culture. See how the connection between pride and fear is right there. Let us make a name for ourselves. Pride hubris, arrogance. But look what's connected to it. In case we are scattered or dispersed over the face of the earth, this is what we fear. We don't want to be scattered. Let us make a name, pride, so that this doesn't happen to us, our greatest fear. We will be scattered. So they want something that reaches the heavens. And What they find, I think, is that as you read up to chapter 11, death is all around them. They understand death now. The ages of people are significantly reduced after the flood. When you look before the flood, the ages are longer. Something may have happened to the type of atmosphere in the world in which they live. The ages have been significantly reduced from what they were. There are no longer Methuselahs walking around, so to speak, who are going to live almost to a thousand years. Now, this is important to understand because they want a legacy now. They see death is around them. Here's their legacy. Build a tower, establish their legacy. I know of people who uh, they know they're getting old. They have lots of money. 
Instead of leaving it all to their children to squander, they give $5 million to the University of Victoria, and the business school is named after them. In fact, my dad's friend did precisely that. That's what they do. They keep their name alive even though they die. And this tower is a way of keeping their legacy alive even though death is all around them. So notice just up until this point, there is an action. They build a city in order to not be dispersed over the whole earth. They want security. Then they build a tower with its top that reaches the heavens in order to make a name for themselves. They want praise. They want security and they want praise. But lurching beneath that is a deadly fear that they will be scattered and not remembered. So then, how does God respond to this? And the Lord came down, verse 5, to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And this is actually most excellent. They have built a tower that reaches the heavens. Look at what man has done. A massive tower that reaches the heavens and the Lord comes down. You see, that's not by accident. The Lord doesn't say, whoa, what's coming? Whoa, I'm sitting in heaven enjoying myself and this tower starts to come up. Here's man at their so-called best. Look at what we can do. And the Lord of glory enthroned in the heavenly places has to come down to see, oh, what's going on down there? There's an irony here. It's like they're being made fun of. And you need to see that. And so... Let us go down. And I think that let us go down, the divine counsel language that's uh, clearly obvious in Genesis, the angels and the heavenly host. God is speaking in a way to illustrate the sort of uh, nature of what is happening. Uh, Let us go down and see what they are doing. Let the angels go and see what is happening as well. Let us go down. And so what does God do? Well, let us go down and see this. And what does he say in verse 6? And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have one language. So he goes down, he investigates, and then reasons, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Now just hold up for a second. This will also teach you something about mankind. It was never going to be enough for them to simply say, let us build a tower for ourselves that reaches the heavens, and then we'll be okay. Just let us have this. Because that's not human nature. God understands if they do this, then they will want more. And they will want more. That is why parents with your children, if you think that they are saying, hey, I just want this. Just give me this one thing. Just allow me this one thing. And you say, well, I don't think this is a good idea. But if that's all they want, that's fine. You need to understand they don't stop there. Because then they get that and then they go, ah, well, that worked. Now what do I want? And it doesn't stop. I'm not meaning to be harsh on children. I don't want you leaving going, Pastor Mark, kicking me while I'm down. This isn't fair. We are all like that by nature. It is never enough. When pride is involved, we want the next and the next and the next. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. He's actually acknowledging that 
the gifts that he's given to mankind will actually yield a lot of impressive results, and they do. And that's something else we have to remember about humanity, is the gifts that God has given even to unbelievers really are incredible. They really are something to marvel at. When you just look at some of the symphonies and the composers and some of the artists and the things that they've done, it really is incredible how God gifts humanity. Nothing will be impossible for them. So what does God do? Well, look at verse 7. Let us go down there, confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. This seems to be an act of judgment, and it is indeed an act of judgment. But I want us to understand something tonight, that in God's judgment there is mercy. In God's judgment there is grace. Because He keeps them from actually following through with actions that will destroy them in a far worse manner. So God judges them, but even in His judgment He's being gracious to them. Because think about what if he hadn't done this, then they would have done many more things and their pride and hubris and arrogance would have only condemned them even further. So let us confuse their speech. And whether this happened in an instantaneous sort of Uh, well, they're just confused, or whether there were other means whereby uh, they just started getting in arguments with one another, and so they had to leave one another, and fights broke out, so they leave, and then language develops over the next five years, ten years, fifty years. A lot of good, reformed, Bible-believing commentators say, we can't read too much into this. We know that God confuses them, and they eventually settle in places where distinct cultures and languages emerge so that you have the nations of the world that we see even to this day. And he confuses their speech. And have you ever been in a situation where you have tried to speak to someone where they have utterly no idea what you're talking about and you do not have any idea what they're talking about, yet you still try to have the conversation? And you talk a little bit more slowly. Hello. How are you? And it doesn't work. And they smile and you smile. Then you start the hand motions. And you think the hand motions help and they don't help. And it just, it's incredibly frustrating. I've been in many different countries. And a few occasions I've actually come up to someone and we have no idea what is going on. And the only thing you can do is smile or cry. And it's usually better to smile. This is a very frustrating experience when you can't understand someone. One of the great gifts that God gives us is the ability to understand each other. And it is a type of judgment when we cannot. So the Lord, in verse 8, dispersed them from over there, the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. That's so sad. They had it right there. They had the material. They had the desire. They had the willpower. They were ready to do something great. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. It's very hard to accomplish city building when you can't understand what the person is asking you to do. 
My dad owned a roofing company and the foreman was British from Manchester. And you wouldn't believe how many fights erupted on the roof just because they couldn't understand him speaking Manchester English. And he'd yell at them and they'd have no clue what he was on about. And then they'd do something and he's like, not that you, you know, and other words would emerge. So they couldn't build the city because they couldn't understand one another. And so they were dispersed over all the earth. And there you see the Bible's explanation for cultures and languages and migration and all of that in one verse. God dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, just a few points before we close of application. The first is this. Sometimes in God's judgments, as I've said, there is mercy. But notice God, when He shows mercy towards us in the form of what is a judgment, often He allows our biggest fear to be realized. So God knows where to get you. God knows that on a corporate level, but He also knows that on an individual level. What is your biggest fear? And your biggest fear usually changes as you get older. Without going into the details of my own conversion, I can tell you that my biggest fear was the means of how God converted me. He made me realize my biggest fear and deal with it, and that's how I was converted. Because sometimes your biggest fear is the source of your idolatry, and your idolatry is the source of why you're not serving the Lord. And so God takes away from you, or He brings to you, the last thing that you want God to take away from you or to bring to you, depending on what the case may be. And that can be His mercy, not His judgment. The dispersion meant that one day Christ would stand upon a mountain and say to His apostles, go into all nations and there will be a common language preaching the gospel, the common language that unites us all together, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. God disperses them over the face of the earth. And then what does God do? Wipe His hands and say, I want nothing more to do with them? No. In His judgment, He scatters the world all over the world. And then, one day sends his people to go and find them and bring them back to a common language. And you see that at Pentecost, the beginning of the reversal of the curse, where they all hear because of the gospel, each one speaking in the same language. So what they once had, they now actually have, but on God's terms, gospel language, one universal language. It's a miracle of God's grace. But there was a lot of pain and suffering to get there. A lot of people had to travel and die. A lot of people went through types of, of snow and heat and all the, the, the things that can lead to death and disease because of the judgment. So the point is, yes, the judgment can be felt and sometimes very painfully, but even in the judgments there are mercies because of God's grace. But then also one other point, and it's uh, not too hard to see, I don't think, but what goes up, must first come down. And God's perfect city is not built up by men. But as we saw this morning, it descends down from heaven. 
That is to say, man left to himself works hard to reach the heavens. That's man. Apart from the grace of God, it is man trying to reach the heavens. It's man trying to do his best to impress God and to reach God. You see, Babel is symbolic not only of a shared culture, but a shared religion of everyone who has ever lived in this world. We will do this and we will reach God. But God left to himself does what? He works hard to reach to earth before we can reach to the heavens. It has to be that in fact, God does not allow us to reach the heavens, but the one in the heavens must reach down to earth and become like one of us and die the death that we deserve to die so that He may bring us up in His resurrection to the heavenly places. And that is through Christ. You see, in a sense, the instinct of man is not entirely wrong, but the way in which man goes about it is entirely wrong. And so Genesis 11 is actually telling us something important, not only about man, but about God. God must say, let us go down. And Christ comes down and takes the form of a servant and humbles himself to death, even death on the cross. And then he reaches up and is given the name that is above every name. And as he reaches up, he brings us up so that John can see in a vision in Revelation 21, heavenly Jerusalem, the people of God descending down from the heavenly places rather than us trying to ascend to God. And that is the essence of the gospel. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank you for your ways, which are not our ways. Our ways are always foolish, maniacal, divisive, leading to judgment. Your ways, O Lord, are wise and gracious and merciful. And we pray that we will remember that we should embrace your ways and not our ways. We should say, hallowed be your name and not hallowed be our name. And we should remember that Christ descended so that we may truly ascend. And not only ascend in a pitiful way as we've read in the text here, but ascend to the highest place where we are with him who is seated on the throne. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.